Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Hey, happy 4th of July, Believer's Church, and I am back in the great state of Ohio. I'm, I'm originally from Ohio. Yep, so a little town, some of you may know it, called Coshocton. Right here, baby. Coshocton, Ohio was where I was born and uh, grew up there. I'm a diehard Buckeye fan. And I am a, uh, and, and I'm coming back to the Browns. When the Browns left in 95, I got bitter because the Ravens' Super Bowl win isn't the Ravens, it's the Browns. And those of us from Ohio know that. So, hey, I just want to say it is the 4th of July. It's one of the greatest um, holidays. I, I love it. I love the celebration of freedom. It's an interesting time in America. It's a hard time. There's, a, there's a, a lot of division. There's a lot of different opinions. But I will tell you this. As a veteran, I grew up in a generation. I was, I was 17 years old when I joined the military. And I grew up with every race, creed, color, religion stood next to me, and I never looked at them in any other way other than we're Americans, man. And we went into the fight together. I, I have brothers from every race, and I love them. Um, and I hope that as veterans, we can help bring this country back together, that those of us, we need to. We are the ones that have been out there. We've seen the parts of the world that are hard and terrible and violent. And, uh, and I want to know that the sacrifice that all of us made, myself, you, other veterans, that it was worth it for, for, for my kids and my grandkids and future generations. So I hope that we can work together, especially as we have these uh, Fourth of July, as more Fourth of Julys, more celebrations of our independence. I want to talk to you about a journey and uh, about this young kid. And uh, you can see that young kid on the screen. I grew up in a family that came from military service. My, both grandfathers fought in World War II. My father was in the Army. My great, uh, great uncle was shot down in the Pacific in World War II and killed. And these were the stories I grew up with. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a warrior. And the other thing that I grew up with was faith. Uh, we were very strong Christians. My dad was an elder in the church. And if the doors were open, we were in church. I mean, uh, youth group, I sang in the choir. We did it all. But I, but I grew up with what I call blind faith. I grew up with just faith that I just accepted it because this is how I was raised. Hey, you were raised with a Bible in your hand, and this is just how it is. But as we grow we start to educate ourselves and we start to see other parts of the world. And as a young kid, as I went off and decided that I was gonna start this journey to be a SEAL and went into the military, and you see, I got into, uh, I got into the SEAL teams and I started to question my faith. You see, the SEAL teams are a pretty hardcore community. Um, we're, we're not only are we great warriors and great fighters, but we're also great partiers. We celebrate pretty hard 
in our off time. And this young kid from Ohio and North Carolina and these different places, man, I went to the military and I was like, man, I am good at partying. Like, I enjoy this. And I started to notice that this hard partying, fighting community, we didn't have many Christians. You know, there weren't a whole lot of us. And I started to kind of push my faith to the backside. Or at least I became what I like to call a a closet Christian. Anybody know any closet Christians? You know, we kind of keep our faith on the inside and we don't really talk a lot about it. Or we're a Christian when it's convenient. That's kind of how it was for me. Although I would still read the Bible, but what started to happen is I would start to question. And I almost would start to like tempt God. And I would ask this question all the time. Lord, where have all the miracles gone? Like, show me some miracles. And like that would really, that really cement my faith because I'm traveling all over Central and South America, and I've got all these really cool things and friends, and I really like partying. So if you showed me some miracles, I think that would really help my faith. And I would read through the Bible, and he'd show me different scriptures, such as John 12.1. John 12.1, it said, Then Jesus, six days before his, the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Miracle. And I'm like, well, Lord, I want to see some Lazarus is raised from the dead. Like, I mean, the very first dead person I saw was a Colombian that got shot in the camp we were in in 1997. And although my faith was not there and I didn't pray over this guy and say, raise him from the dead, it did make me think about, you know, the fragility of life and how easily we pass from life to death every day. Millions of people pass over. But we don't see these miracles. Or one of my favorite stories I would come back to was from Daniel 3.24, good old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace with King Nebuchadnezzar, it said, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Miracle. Walked out of that furnace unhurt. I'm going to come back to that story of being delivered from the furnace because those of us who served in Iraq know that Iraq itself was kind of like a furnace and I got delivered from it. And I came back to think on that verse later as the years went by. But then the last one, as I was on this faith journey in my military career, as I was this closet Christian, was I came to one of Jesus' own disciples, Thomas. Good old doubting Thomas. And uh, I began to find a little bit of uh, hope in Thomas. Because here's a guy who walked with Jesus, and Jesus was like, you know, I'm just walking the streets, and I'm like, hey, you get a miracle. It was like Oprah back then. You know, he's like, you get a miracle, and you get a miracle. And, oh, you're sick? 
I'm going to fix that leg. You get a miracle. That's how Jesus was back then. But Thomas walked with him. And Thomas was like, yeah, I don't know. And then he passed away on the, and then he, he dies. He's crucified on the cross for all of us. And he comes back three days later. And other disciples and people are saying, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. And Thomas was like, I don't know. I don't buy it. You know? Like he had seen all these miracles and he still didn't buy it. So in my faith journey, I was starting to say, you know, maybe there's more to this. Maybe there's more. June tw- John 2026. 20, Doubting Thomas. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Jesus cometh, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and see my hands, and reach hither thy hand and put it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. So I'm on this journey, and I'm like, okay, if Thomas is having issues, maybe I'm okay. But I still kept asking for miracles. You see, faith is a journey. Faith is a journey. And there's going to be highs and lows, and there's going to be moments, and it comes along. But one of the biggest things we need to understand is faith takes commitment. Faith takes awareness of the world around us, and it takes perspective. You see, all these times that I would say, hey, Lord, just... Just give me a miracle. Just give me something like black and white, like bang, punch me in the face. I think I said that several times. You're going to remember those words in a few minutes. Like, Lord, just hit me in the face with something so I can be like, yes. Like, I want that Thomas moment. Like, hands, finger in the hand, finger in the side. Like, I get it. But the reality is awareness and perspective. You know, I think miracles happen all the time around us, but we live in a day and age where we chalk it up to luck or coincidence, or fate. So many times we've done this. I, as veterans, any of you who have been in combat know that I have witnessed times where things have occurred on the battlefield, like a wall of bullets, and it's almost like a cartoon. There's a guy like this, and he didn't get hit by one. My interpreter was standing right next to me when I got all shot up, and I was hit like, you know, a whole bunch of times, and he wasn't hit once. And we chalk those things up to fate, coincidence, luck. How many of you ride motorcycles? I love to ride. Years ago, I was riding in Virginia, and I came up over an overpass, and I'll I'll be honest, I made the critical mistake in motorcycle riding. I wasn't paying attention as closely as I should. I might have been looking at something like my radio as I came up over this overpass, and I glanced up, and all the traffic was at a dead stop down at the bottom of the overpass. And I'm doing like 65 on my motorcycle, Harley-Davidson Street Glide. I immediately uh, slammed on the brakes as I was closing on this car behind me, and I locked up. I pushed down too hard on my rear brake, and my back tire locked up, and my bike started to slide like this. Now, there's something on a motorcycle called a high side where the bike starts to, it's sliding and it's off balance and then all of a sudden it catches and it pitches the rider off and flips. I actually did that once in 1993. So I'm, and it was a much smaller motorcycle back then. So here I am sliding sideways on this bike at about 50 miles an hour 
the cars are all stopped. I managed to slide forward past the rear bumper. I remember looking at that rear bumper, and it was like right there. I went past it, and I looked back, and there was a tractor trailer slamming on its brakes coming at me. And, and I knew any minute that bike was going to lose control, and I was going to flip and get run over, trees on both sides, or I was pitching into the trees. And I was like, this is it. And somehow... That bike righted itself, and I was able to go off the side of the road and come to a stop. And I said, man, I sure was lucky. <laughs> I look back on that now, and I'm like, that was a miracle. Amen. That was a miracle. You see, I think sometimes foundations and faith are all around us, but we only have to stop long enough to allow ourselves to become aware of them. We have to recognize, hey, you know, Maybe that was a miracle. Like, maybe in that moment, God was like, uh, I'm going to step in in this situation. I'm going to help you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix your motorcycle for a minute because it's about to get real ugly if I don't. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it gets real ugly. And I don't know why. He's a mysterious God. I definitely haven't been able to figure him out, but it's because he's so much bigger than us. And oftentimes, when I lose my faith and I'm going along that path, I once again will say, you know, Lord, I could use something to just uh, cement my, my leadership, to cement my belief. And then I would tempt him and say, Lord, you know, just, you know, punch me in the face with something, you know? September 12, 2007, I was in... I was operating out of Fallujah, Iraq, and, uh, and working throughout the Al-Ambar province. And the Al-Ambar province in Iraq in 2006, 2007 was the Wild West. Uh, the country had imploded into just a civil war, and the insurgency was just a mess. Iraq was a mess. And the majority of our excuse me, our veterans who were wounded out of Iraq, the majority were wounded and killed in 06 and 07. And uh, when I got there in the spring of 07, we were going after mid-level and high-level Al-Qaeda and insurgent leaders almost every night. Super volatile, crazy deployment, all this work. And on the night of September 12th, we got tasked to go after the number one Al-Qaeda leader. Um, and you'll see me in this picture from that night. And, uh, and I remember getting ready for that mission as we launched on it. And, uh, and we knew it was going to be this very high threat mission. Like everything from the intelligence briefs we got at the beginning that told us, hey, this Al-Qaeda leader's security detail is comprised of very um, well-trained individuals. You know, it could be a dozen individuals. They all wear suicide vests. They're trained that if they get too close, if you get too close to them, they will blow themselves up to try and kill you and themselves before you can get to this leader. Um, we just expected to get all shot up. Now, I remember, even though I was a closet Christian, I always prayed before I went out. And I said, Lord, help us and protect us. An interesting thing happened right off the bat. So normally when I went out on uh, missions like this, um, if we were flying in, I did not wear my side plates. So you have a front plate and a back plate. All that stuff adds up. All of that is weight. And 
And in special operations, we have a little more leeway in what we can carry. There are certain things you have to wear. There are, certain, there are other things you have a little bit of leeway. So when we went on helicopter operations, I would not wear my side plates because I wanted to be lighter, because most likely I was going to be crawling over walls or I wanted to be light and fast and move. And I almost never wore my side plates. If I was doing mobility operations where there was a high likelihood we were going to be driving over IEDs or something like that, I would wear them. But on this night, as I was getting ready for that mission and I prayed, a little voice said, wear your side plates. What? Who said that? Wear your side plates. And I was like, huh. All right. And I put my side plates in. We launched on that mission. I'm not going to go into all the details. I'm going to tell you that we walked into an incredibly well-executed Al-Qaeda ambush with that security detail from those men uh, for that leader. And uh, I was shot by a very large PKM machine gun at about 45 feet, so about the distance of this stage uh, back to where the AV guys are in the back by this machine gun. I was stitched across the body, so took rounds across my body armor. I took two rounds in the left elbow that I thought had shot my arm off at that time. I took rounds off my helmet, rounds off my gun. Um, <laughs> and then I turned to try and get out of this maelstrom of gunfire to move back to the only point of cover we had, which was back behind me. We had a large John Deere tractor tire, style tractor tire back there. And, uh, and my guys had fallen back to that, and I went to move back to them, and I caught around in the face. It actually hit me right in front of the ear. It traveled through my face. It blew out the right side of my nose. It blew out my right cheekbone. It broke my uh, cheekbone, what was left of it, and kicked it out to the right. Vaporized my orbital floor. It broke all the bones above my eye. My eye dropped into this newfound hole in my face. It broke the head of my jaw. It shattered my jaw to my chin, and it knocked me out. When I came to, I was laying on my back with literal gunfire traveling directly over me. Um, this gunfight was occurring about eight inches above me. My guys were back behind me, and the enemy was in front of me, and I was pinned down laying on my back watching tracer fire travel over me. And, uh, and I remember <laughs> my first thought when I came to, trying to figure out where I was and what had happened, and dawning on me that these laser beams traveling over me were gunfire, my first thought was, don't sit up. <laughs> That's an important safety tip for all of you. If you ever wake up and you hear loud bangs and there's laser beams traveling over you, that could be tracer fire. Don't sit, sit up. I just saved your life. But that was my first thought. My second thought was how messed up I was. And I realized that I was losing a lot of blood. I didn't realize, when I reached over, I could not feel my arm. And I knew I had been shot in the arm. I couldn't feel it. It had, it had damaged all my nerves. And, and what had happened was my, my arm was pinned under my body. So when I reached over, I couldn't feel it. So I was convinced that my arm had been shot off. I knew I'd been shot in the face. I knew I was losing a lot of blood. And I knew I was pinned down. And I was in a bad situation. And... Uh, I remember calling out to my teammates and saying, how long to the medevac? And my team leader said, five minutes. Five minutes. And it was at this time that I thought to myself, 
for the first time, you're going to bleed out. You're going to die. And uh, that's a sad feeling. It's a sad feeling to face your own death. It's a sad feeling to look back on your life. It's a sad feeling to have those regrets. And it was a sad feeling in that moment because I wasn't really sure where I was going. Thought about my wife, thought about my kids, and I was angry and sad and filled with all these different emotions. And suddenly, my faith came back. And in this hard moment, I called out to God and I said, Lord, I need strength. I need strength to go home. I need strength to see my wife and kids again. I want to raise my son to be a good, strong young man. I need to raise my daughters to be good, strong young women. I need this strength because I wasn't able to move a muscle. And all of a sudden, I had strength. I went from not being able, I remember at one point I tried to move my right hand and I couldn't even move that right hand. And I went from not being able to move that right hand to suddenly when the medevac helicopter came in 20 minutes later, my buddy started to drag me, my team leader started to drag me, and I was like, that hurts, stop. I'm like, hey, grab my arm and grab my helmet. And I got up and I walked 75 yards to that helicopter. And I got in under my own power, and they flew me to Baghdad. And the doctors and nurses saved my life. And they said, it's a miracle you survived. I woke up. About 10 10 hours after I had been all shot up and they saved my life. And I asked three questions to my commanding officer and my command master chief who were there. I said, are my guys okay? Has my wife been notified? And do I still look pretty? (laughs) And they said, your guys are okay? They're out of surgery? CO said, I talked to your wife myself. And he said, nope, getting shot in the face is going to be an improvement. But guys, bigger than that, I realized what those doctors were saying. The amount of blood you lost, the transfusions you needed, the injuries you sustained, it is a miracle you are alive. And I had been asking God, hey, God, if you'll give me a miracle, you know, just punch me in the face. He did it. He, he like one up me. He's like, I got a better one. I'm going to shoot you in the face and now I'm going to save you. How about now? So here's the thing, though. I, my faith should be so rock solid and concrete from the miracles that I've witnessed and the living miracle that I walked through. But it isn't always. It isn't always. Since that night, almost 14 years ago, I still have challenges. I still have problems. I still have issues. I still have doubts, and sometimes my faith is shaken, and and I kick myself. I'm like, man, you should be like so rock solid in your faith. You know, God hit you in the face and gave you a miracle, you know? Remember we talked about doubting Thomas, and we talked about Jesus' other disciples? Matthew 26, 75, Peter, the man, 
And Peter remembered the words which Jesus had said, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And I realized, man, faith is hard. And at times, our faith is going to waver. Faith is not absolute. We are human. At times, you're going to question it. At times, you're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. And it's during these times when we have these challenges, when we question what's going on in our lives, or we question where God is. Because at times, we, we all pray for certain things. We pray, Lord, help me out of this situation. Or Lord, I pray for my kid. Or Lord, I pray for this person that has cancer, a life-threatening disease, or this person that lost their job. And we get stuck, and we start to go through these series of things in their mind that I have gone through in my life too. We start to think, there's no hope. I've heard a lot of that in the last year and a half. How many have felt that way? Or we'll say, there's nothing I can do. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah. Or we'll say, it's all out of my control. It's all out of my control. You see, a lot of people, when these moments come along, when our faith is tested, when our own belief in ourselves is tested, we get stuck. I call these moments being on the X. And the X is the point of the crisis. It is the point of the chaos. It is the point of the catastrophic event. It is the point of the attack. And in my military career, I had learned that you cannot sit on the X. Yet so many people in life do it. We get stuck on the X. We're, there are people stuck on the X from this pandemic. There are people that are stuck on the X because of things that are going on in their life. There are people that are stuck on the X because their faith has been questioned in this moment. But there's an interesting thing about being on the X, and there's an interesting thing about faith. I personally believe that God believes in us. God believes in you. And God gave all of us one amazing thing. He gave you free will. Free will. Meaning that you have the ability to choose what you're going to do in these situations. And I feel like there are so many people at times that get on this X and they will pray and say, God, help me out of this situation, but they will do nothing to move themselves out of it. They will sit on the X and feel sorry for themselves. They will be a victim instead of a victor. You see, God made you to be a victor. He made you to get up and drive forward. I, I worry about the future of our nation because I think there's a lot of victim mindset out there right now. We want to encourage people to be victims. Well, you can't do this because of where you came from or your beliefs or your skin color or whatever it is. And people sit on the X and feel sorry for themselves. But I think God made us that faith is not just our belief in God and our belief in him to help us. But I think it's time, it's our belief in ourselves to get up and drive forward and get off that X. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible to one who believes. I love this. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, 
I do believe. Help my unbelief. I'll tell you what, as a guy who's a walking miracle, I say that prayer a lot. Lord, I'm stuck. There's no hope. There's nothing I can do. It's out of my control. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Because in these moments when you believe that and you're on the X, I want you to understand something. There is always hope. Hope is a belief. Hope comes from within. It is this belief that we're going to drive forward and make a difference. And it may not be the outcome that you wished would occur. So often in my life, I hoped and prayed for a different outcome that was not the outcome that I got. But I didn't sit there and feel sorry for myself. And I believe God believes in that. Not only do you have to have faith in him, but you have to have faith in yourself because he has faith in you to drive forward. You know, it becomes, you know, there's nothing I can do. There's always something you can do. Always. Even if it's nothing more than just relentless positivity that I'm going to drive forward and I'm going to lift others up around me. It's outside of my control. You control what you can. When you're on the X, when there are problems, we focus on what we control. And so often, it can just be us and our ability to drive forward. When I was in the hospital, there was a period of time where I believed all those things. You see, God had saved me, but I went from one X to the next X. And the next X, the next X, the next ambush was lying in that hospital bed and the doctor's telling me, Lieutenant Redmond, your, your operational career is probably over. We're, we're, we're going to amputate your arm. You have no use of your left hand. You have uh, extreme nerve damage. I was trached. I was wired shut. I had tubes coming out of every orifice. I was too weak to even get out of bed to use the bathroom. They were feeding me through this stomach tube. And, and I remember sitting there thinking to myself, okay, so I'm no longer able to be a SEAL. I'm going to be permanently disabled, and I'm going to be forever disfigured. I remember in those first few moments, I'm like, so God, you saved me, but now what? You know, there's no hope. There's nothing I can do. It's outside of my control. But once again, we can have faith in him, but he also has faith in us. And what is the most powerful thing that you have? You have free will. And most importantly, you have a choice. You have a choice in what you're going to do when things go wrong. And in this day and age where so many have the victim mentality, I want to encourage you to have the victor mentality, to be positive, to drive forward, to look for the good out of the bad, to look for the lessons you can learn out of it, to look for how we get better. I tell people all the time, the overcome mindset and positivity isn't built in the good times. It's built in the hard times, the rough times, and the times where there is no hope, when it is beyond our control, when we do believe there's nothing I can do. And you start to learn that there are things you can do. And in that hospital bed, I had some people come into that room and express pity over me. And it was in that moment that that clicked in. Here I am, I'm praying to God, like, help me get through this situation. And he said, you can do it. He said, you can do it. And he was right. 
I just had to get off that X. I had to stop feeling sorry for myself. And it was in that moment that I wrote this sign. And it said this, attention to all who enter here. If you're coming in this room with sadness or sorrow, don't bother. The wounds that I received, I got in a job that I love, doing it for people that I love, defending the freedom of a country that I deeply love. I will make a full recovery. I believed it. What is full? That is the absolute utmost physically. I have the ability to recover. And then I'll push that about 20% further through sheer mental tenacity. This room you're about to enter is a room of fun, optimism, and intense rapid regrowth. If you are not prepared for that, go elsewhere. And we signed it, the management, because that made sense, right? <laughs> that was a choice. And here's the thing. I wrote that as a testament, like a, a manifest, a mission to what I believe, because God said you can do it. You see, small faith can change everything. Small faith can change everything. So even though maybe deep down inside, I was like, I don't know if I can do this or not. I believe, help me with my unbelief. And I wrote it. And I posted it. And I will tell you that over the next four years, I had 40 surgeries. 40 surgeries. At times, I had infection problems. At one point, the first two noses they built for me um, failed. I got massive. I got MRSA staph and some other terrible infection. And they had to cut out everything that they had done. And I just had a hole in my face. I wore a bandage everywhere I went. And I would have to go back and look at that sign and say, that's who you are. You know, this idea of there's no hope, this idea of there's nothing I can do, this idea of it's all out of my control, you can control your mindset. You can control positivity. God's given you the power to do it. It's just on you to get off that X. Believe in yourself. Place your faith and problems in God. But don't sit there waiting forever because he's a mysterious God. He doesn't always answer everything in the way we think it's going to happen. It drives me crazy to watch people that sit there and complain and say, man, I've been praying or I've been asking for this to happen. And I'll say, awesome, what, what have you done? And they'll say, well, nothing. I'm like, what do you mean Nothing. I mean, how do you expect something to change if you don't get up and do anything? It's on us also. Like it's a, no different in any relationship, it takes giving and it takes receiving. And we don't know when he's gonna give, so we have to give. We have to get off that X. We have to drive forward. Be positive, build confidence in yourself, believe in yourself, get off that X, drive forward, and your faith, have that faith so that God can overcome your problems. After I got injured, overcome became my word. I became known as the overcome guy. And, and now I sign everything overcome. As you can see, it's in my slides. And several years ago, I just typed in overcome to the Bible. Just I wanted to see a verse that had overcome in it. And John 16, came up. It is now my favorite verse. Amazing, the power of it. John 16, Jesus said, these things have I spoken to you, that in me ye may have peace. In the world, ye have tribulation. We've got a lot of tribulation right now. There's a lot of negative people. 
In the world, we have tribulation, but be be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Man, that's awesome. I meet so many people in this day and age that are negative. They're negative about everything. And don't get me wrong, we got problems. We got problems. But be of good cheer. Have hope. Control what you can. Make a difference. I teach people part of being a leader. And all of our veterans, you're leaders. But I teach everyone as a leader. In this day and age, I think it's critical that we be the light in the darkness. It should be on us. We should be the ones that set that example. We should be the ones that get off that X. We should be the ones that try and make a difference. And even when everything is going wrong around us, that was my goal when I was in that hospital room. I was gonna be positive and drive forward. I knew I may not be able to control the outcome of everything. I never operated it again. I never, and operated as a, tactical term to go back and conduct missions as a SEAL or special operations. I never did it again after that day, September 13th. I was never able to. My outcome wasn't what I wanted it to be. But instead, I said, I'm going to be the light in the darkness. I'm going to lift others up. And now I'm going around all over the place teaching people how to be a good leader, how to have strong faith, both in in Jesus and in themselves. So guys, it is critical. Be that light in the darkness. Though we may have tribulation in the world, be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. So to my fellow veterans, we need to be the light. There there is, uh, I don't know, it's just interesting time. So I think it's even more critical for us to step up and be leaders and not leaders that are berating and beating people down. That's not the right type of leadership. Leaders bring people together. Leaders motivate and inspire. Leaders show others how it is done by leading through example. And that is what we need in this day and age. So as a veteran, I highly encourage you to do that. As an American citizen, on this 4th of July, I highly encourage you to do that. Be that light in the darkness. It will make all the difference. I wanna thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to share my story. You know, be careful what you wish for. Sometimes God will give it to you. <laughs> I will be out front after we're done. I have uh, uh, my, my two books. Uh, so my, my first book, The Trident, went on to be a New York Times bestseller. It is all about my journey. It is a story. And uh, it's a leadership book at its heart and soul. Uh, I talk, I made a pretty good, <laughs> I made some pretty good mistakes as a young leader And uh, I write about those mistakes. I almost got myself kicked out of the SEAL team as a young officer because I was arrogant. I thought way too highly of my leadership skills. And thankfully, I had some leaders that believed in me, and I grew up and really learned what it is to be an effective leader. And that book is about that journey, that leadership journey, them being severely wounded. It's also a love story. It follows the journey of my wife and I, and it's a huge testament to the spouses that are out there, the military spouses that are out there who stand next to us through this, you know, this crazy career that we followed. And then uh, my second book, Overcome, went on to be an Amazon bestseller, and uh, it is a how-to. How do you build an overcome mindset? And then I just released my third book, 
Uh, July 16th, it'll be available. We're launching, but we're selling it here today, the Point Man Planner. And it teaches people how to leave, live their life based on a mission. In the military, our veterans, we all had a mission. It gave, us a, it gave us a path on where to go. And in this life, I feel like so many people are walking aimlessly through. You know, you're not just a Christian. There's more to you. You're a father and a mother and a brother and a sister and, 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 and a worker or a business owner, whatever you are, you're more than all, you're all these things combined and trying to teach people how to define your mission and all those things so that now, no different than that sign I had on my door, you know where you're going. When things get hard, you have a guidepost to go after and that's what this Point Man Planner is about. So once again, I hope to meet you guys out there. I'm gonna be coming to the other campus here in a little bit. And uh, I just want to say thank you, and I appreciate you. And I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Joe. We can take our seats for a moment. I, I do want to take a moment to pray here. And uh, as Jason said, he'll be at his book table and uh, you can go up and meet him, buy some of his material. But let's go ahead, bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Father, thank you. I know as I listened, very, very inspired. And I know you did that with each and every one of us. And Father, maybe there's some here who were like Jason was at one time. A closet Christian or maybe not even a Christian and we thank you for this moment in time where people can reach out and find you right where they're at maybe there's some here that are hopeless maybe there's some here that are hurting in so many different ways God I thank you that you're God and you can do things that none of us can do so heads are bowed eyes are closed listen guys some of you, most of you know who Jesus is. Many of you grew up in church, but, and some of you may not even know if you believe in God or not. There's a spectrum of people here. Here's my question. Can you remember a day in your life when you said, Jesus, I believe you're the only way to heaven, and I accept you as my savior, and I receive the salvation that only you can supply? Maybe you're here in Warren, maybe you're online, maybe you're in Boardman, maybe you're at TCI. You say, hey, that's me. The Bible teaches we were born sin-stained, we need a savior. So right now I'm not asking you to join our church or religion. I'm just asking, can you remember a day when you said, Jesus, I believe you're the only way and I accept you. If you're listening, you say, I can't. Listen to what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us that God sent his son, Jesus always existed. He took upon himself a human body. He grew up, he suffered every temptation we do. And then he allowed himself to be nailed on a tree. He died three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. And then God raised him from the dead and he's alive. And he just said, whoever calls on me, I will save them. So maybe you're listening right now and you say, you know what? I can't remember calling on his name, but I'm ready now. And for all of us that have, let's help them out. If you're online in Borman, TCI here in Warren, can we help them out? And if you're praying this for the first time, all you have to do is mean it. The Bible says you cannot be saved by your own good works. 
but by placing faith in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Pray this from your heart if you're praying it for the first time. Again, everybody else, let's help them pray. Say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I was born sin-stained and I need a Savior. I repent of my sins and look to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. You died for our sins. That God raised you up out of that grave. And I ask you right now, save my soul. I receive you as my Savior. And I make a decision to follow you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.